Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. All right. What's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. This is Seth Martin, your host. Thank you for joining me this evening. Glad you're here and happy you're listening. Well, climate change is back in the news a little bit. I'm starting to see some people kind of come out and defend the position that man-made climate change may not be what's going on. Uh, in fact, there's there's kind of two different scenarios. There's It may not be going on, um, and even if it is, kind of what could the government do about it? Uh, the free market is, is a much better place to get our solutions for the survivability of climate. And then the other side of the coin kind of comes from some of these geologists who are saying, hey, you know, look, this is um, the whole scene period or whatever we're in right now has been going on for 10,000 years. And, you know, it's actually uh, quite a bit cooler than it has been in the recent past with respect to geological time. So I thought I would weigh in on some of this. And I think this may be, aside from the financial stuff that's going on in our economy, in our global economy, uh, and, and they're related, by the way, but aside from just a purely financial uh, dislocation that is happening in our economy with, with the debt and deficits and money printing and just dishonest money activity. Aside from that, uh, this energy situation could be the most serious thing we've got going on. And I think, I I believe that we're going to see one hell of a uh, cost associated with this. I think there's going to be a reckoning at some point. At some point, we're going to say, it's going to be like, oh, shit, what have we done, right? We've, we've dumped all this money into, quote-unquote, renewables uh, because they're sustainable. Well, it, it depends on what you're talking about when you're, when you're talking about sustainability. Um, because they're not sustainable if the weather's not quite right. You know, I mean, they're not sustainable in that condition. So really what we're talking about here when we talk about renewables, wind and solar specifically, and batteries, is you're talking about energy that's supplemental at best. And we've spent about $5 trillion over the last 20 years as a globe, as a, as a global community, on quote-unquote renewables and we're only about 2% or so into um, the, the energy needs of the globe. So, um, you know, in, in, we've talked about this before, but every time you add solar powers or you add wind, you need more petroleum uh, or fossil fuel energy as well. You, you cannot just, you can't just spend money on wind and solar and battery only. Uh, because it's not it's not enough it's it's not replacing um, energy and of course energy demand goes up every year because the population is going up every year so 
I just thought this was good to, to bring up again. Uh, we're going to use Alex Epstein, uh, from, uh, he wrote a, he wrote a, he wrote a couple of books. One's called, um, the moral case for fossil fuels and one's called fossil future. Um, both books are really good. He makes, you know, Alex Epstein just incidentally is a philosopher, right? So he's not an energy guy, but what he does is he asks questions that can be logically proven. Okay. So he doesn't, he doesn't dabble in the, in the realm of, I believe, or I think he, he dabbles in only the world, uh, of reality, at least as, as, uh, as it can be explained philosophically. So he, he's not, uh, in fact, he's been in front of Congress and they asked him, Hey, are you an energy expert? You know, are you an economist? And these kinds of questions. And he said, no. And they said, well, you know, they asked him, why are you here? And he said, to make sure that you ask the right questions. And that's really the key, right? I mean, we, we've talked about this before on this program, is that if you're going to solve a problem, any problem, it doesn't matter what it is, you know, you have to ask the right questions. And if you're asking the wrong questions, then you're going to end up in the wrong place, okay? It's like, uh, it's like if you have a map uh, that's messed up, or you, let's say you're trying to go somewhere and you don't have a compass, okay? Well, you're going to end up in the wrong place. Uh, or if you don't know the difference between north and south and east and west, you're likely to end up in the wrong place. So you have to, it's kind of like that. You have to ask the right questions. You have to identify the right problems or you can't really get to um, the root cause of whatever it is, whatever problem it is you're trying to solve. Climate activists tell us that the world will end soon if we keep burning fossil fuels. The world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. So many want to ban fossil fuels altogether. I wish the activists would just read this book. Then they learn how fossil fuels make the world better. And we need more of them if we want poor people to live better lives. The book's by Alex Epstein. Here's my full interview with him. It's odd to hear someone talk about a moral case for fossil fuels. To me, it's odd that people don't. Fossil fuels have made the world a better and better place for human beings to live. Before fossil fuels, the world was a deficient and dangerous place. Life expectancy was 30. Now the world's an abundant and safe place for billions of people, really for everyone. But there are still billions of people who are poor and could benefit far more if they had low cost, reliable energy. And so the moral case for fossil fuels says, yes, we, the wealthy world, should continue to use fossil fuels as well as pursue any cost effective alternatives. But particularly the poor world should eagerly make their lives better by embracing fossil fuels as well. I left the uh, protesting in this clip because I wanted to just talk briefly about climate justice, whatever that is. Um, you know, a lot of people really can't see, they don't really understand the world that we live in. They don't understand how things are made, where things come from. This is just a, this is kind of a, a symptom of a modern economy. You know, an economy where the division of labor is you know, miles long, you know, the chains 
the, the layers and layers of, uh, of specialization that takes place in our economy. And, and so people don't really understand. I mean, I, you know, I don't think the vast majority of our citizens are idiots. I, I just think it's, it's hard for them to see these connections. It's hard for them to see what, what causes what, you know, what are the causal effects and, um, what are the, um, what are the implications of, you know, getting out on the street and advocating for so-called climate justice? You know, what is this all about? And for them, it's about the planet. And I think this is another type of religion, you know, that we have going on in America right now. We have some people that believe that human beings are harming the planet and that the planet, you know, they worship Mother Nature or the planet, the God planet, or the planet God, I should say. Um, and, and so they're, they see human beings as harming the earth. But it's like there's this disconnect there where they, they don't recognize or they don't realize that they themselves are human beings. And so uh, it's just a bizarre kind of thing. And so uh, I thought I would you know, just play those clips and let you listen to what people are, you know, that's, there's no logical argument. There's no debate. There's just people shouting about, you know, my God is better than your God, essentially. I know that's sounds ridiculous almost, but that's what I feel like is happening. Um, the other thing is there, there's, there's a more to Alex Epstein's point is there's a, there's a moral case here. I mean, the planet is, is a hostile place, okay? It's not an easy place to survive. And if you think it is, just go, go to the foothills of Colorado and just camp out for a week. And don't bring any food, you know, don't bring any of your drinks or anything like that. Just try to live off the land, assuming you can. I'm not even sure you can do that legally. But it's a very hostile environment. I mean... Um, we're just not equipped, you know, to live like that. And people forget this, right? They, they forget that, you know, they just get in their car and drive to the grocery store (laughs) or they just get in their car and go to Macy's and buy some clothes, you know? And this is a very, uh, this is what it is to live in a modern civilization, you know, uh, that has been given to us by, the accumulation of capital over decades and decades and decades and the deployment of that capital in the service of higher productivity, right? That's, that's what is effectively happening. And fossil fuels are a huge portion of that. They're a huge cause of that success. And so to, to, to say, first of all, that you don't like it, like these people that are gluing themselves to paintings or they're throwing paint and, on uh, on artistic work in um, in museums to bring attention to oil. I mean, these people they they just simply don't understand what they're advocating for or they're advocating against. And it's a it's a it, it's a miscalculation. It's an error in thinking that you know somehow wind turbines and solar panels are going to replace. Uh, the dominant form of, of energy production right now, which is fossil fuels or petroleum products. 
Now, we could go with nuclear. In fact, that and a whole bunch of infrastructure upgrade to the to the physical distribution of power grid in America might get you to, to uh, electric cars. But there's all kinds of problems with electric cars. The mining, just the mining damage alone, you're talking about huge environmental impact. So we don't really, these people that are advocating for this don't really fully understand the production processes, uh, the implications of what they're talking about. They see oil as dirty, but I guarantee you that mining for lithium and cobalt and some of these things, these are about a million times dirtier. And, uh, and, and they have to take place in these ginormous pits um, that, that, you know, cut the earth open. And I mean, it's, it's, it's altogether uh, less attractive, you know, than petroleum production, which basically nowadays, I mean, once they put a drill rig on a piece of property, once it's gone, you can hardly even tell there's, there's been anything going on there, you know? So anyway, I just thought I'd play that first clip, but I want to get into some of his more uh, uh, specific arguments. And, and I'm going to cut this clip up quite a bit. So I encourage you to go listen to the whole thing. It's John Stossel's interview of Alex Epstein based on their getting continually better and cheaper and finding new ways to improve batteries, technology. Texas is a really good illustration of the shortcomings of solar and wind and how these are often glossed over. If you take the week before the blackouts in Texas and you look at the percentage that came from solar and wind, it's over 50% of the electricity came from solar and wind. And when that happens, you have this celebration, look, solar and wind are powering everything. But even before any wind turbines froze, just because it got cold, uh, solar and wind totally died out. Again, it wasn't about the frozen wind turbines, it's just when it gets really cold, and by the way, really hot, the wind doesn't blow that much. And so Texas had about one minute of battery storage available. If you run the numbers on what it would take to back up all solar and wind, like an all solar and wind grid with batteries, it's multiples of global GDP. So this is a total fantasy. But they keep getting better, these batteries. They're getting better marginally in the same way that, you know, your average industry might improve one to two to 3% efficiency in a year. What's not happening is the same as happens with microprocessors. There's a lot of false analogies between solar and wind and then microprocessors, but solar and wind have enormous material costs that don't shrink over time. What you can do is you can improve their manufacturing costs, but a lot of that has been done via Chinese slave labor, uh, as well as Chinese dumping and subsidies. So what we're seeing now is you're running into the fact that these require a lot of raw materials and many of those raw material prices are going up. And at today's prices, they are nowhere near able to replace fossil fuels, even for electricity, let alone for mobility. I run into this argument all the time. People say, well, you know, battery technology is getting better. Solar panel technology is getting better. Um, these technologies are getting better and they scale like Moore's Law. And, you know, that's that's the common argument is that it's like Moore's Law. It's going to get better and better every year and double every five years or whatever it is. And we did a show, and I don't recall what show it was, but... Incidentally, we've done a number of shows on this subject, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and mention them here because it might be interesting for you to go back and listen to all of them because I pull from different sources on all these shows. But it was uh, 80, 85, 87, 99, 
103, 142, 168, and 104, or excuse me, 184. And I'll put those in the show notes page, but go back and listen to those. Those, One of them was about, uh, was based on uh, a paper done by the Manhattan Institute. And it, it talked about some of these things about uh, how battery technology is already like, I mean, we've already got like 90% efficiency or something. There's just not much more to gain. Uh, same thing with solar te- uh, solar technology. There's not much more to gain there. But I hear people making this argument all the time that it's just going to get better and better, Seth. No, it doesn't get better and better. It, it, uh, when you're moving mass, um, you know, in, in, in computers, you can, you can have an exponential growth in processing power because essentially all you're doing is you're, you're increasing the density of little, very small transistors on silicon wafers. And as you, as you can, as you get better and better technology, you can, you can miniaturize those smaller and smaller and smaller. And that's what gives us the amount of power for the size of things. But when you're talking about real world physics, like uh, moving mass, and and energy you know the energy it takes to move mass to overcome inertia things like this those things don't scale like that they scale in the other direction and uh again i can't remember what show that is but go back and listen to it and uh, but you hear this all the time with people they they think that uh battery technology and solar technology is is a technology that is going to somehow scale like the microprocessor industry did. And it's just that's just not going to happen. Like he's saying, you might have 1% to 2 or 3% increases in uh, productivity or efficiency over some period of time, and then eventually that'll level out. Uh, but you're not going to have major steps, major uh, milestone increases uh, in these technologies. They're, they're mature. They were mature in the 50s, you know, more or less. Um, especially solar panels, you know, that, that all came about in the, uh, during the space age in the sixties, not the fifties, late fifties, early sixties. So this is a very mature technology and we're, we're already, you know, 98% of the way there. It's just not going to improve that much. There's a fixed cost for the solar and it's not going down right when you see claims about solar is getting cheaper and cheaper and you'll see a graph that looks like this and you think oh my gosh it's going to get cheaper than ever just like hard drive space or Free microprocessor power. right right but you have to look at what is causing it to decline and one way to divide up the costs with solar even if you leave aside the unreliability which is its biggest problem because that requires a reliable infrastructure to support it but even if you just look at the solar panels themselves you have to look at the cost both of the materials involved and the manufacturing processes to put those materials together. Now, what's generally declined is the manufacturing processes. Solar still requires a lot of raw materials, including some like polysilicon, that are quite expensive to make. Some of the price decline is because of Chinese subsidies. And this is why it's unsustainable. And this is why we're already seeing panel prices go up. And again, Given the unreliability of solar, they're nowhere near cost competitive with fossil fuels today. Panel prices are going up? Yes, because of the raw materials. And in general, we're having raw material shortages of different kinds of things. And this is going to get much worse as you try to scale them globally. Many of the materials, really most of the materials in the so-called solar wind battery economy, 
Uh, there is no market evidence that these can scale globally. What's happening is just governments are arbitrarily saying we're going to scale this at an unprecedented rate. And when governments do this versus when this actually happens on markets, you'll inevitably have shortages because the central cleaners have no idea how much lithium can scale, how much certain rare earth elements can scale. And they're already running into these big limitations. The part of the clip that I want to zero in on in this particular segment is where he talks about governments are subsidizing this. And of course, this creates a distortion in the market. We've talked about that before, that the government really doesn't know anything about the factors of production. They don't really know what other factors of production require lithium and cobalt and magnesium and all these things. And so, but what they do is they take tax taxpayer money and they toss it at this industry because it becomes uh, part of the political narrative. And of course, this creates distortions in other market segments. And, you know, what he's talking about there is they're talking about, oh, we're going to scale this up. Well, they may not be able to scale it up because there may be more urgent needs for lithium and magnesium and cobalt and some of these rare earth materials. Uh, The government's just looking at them and going, yeah, you know, just dig them out of the ground. What's the big deal, right? Well, there may be, and I don't know what they are, I haven't investigated this, but there might be some more urgent need, let's say in the medical field for, uh, you know, some magnesium or something, or there might be a more urgent need in some industry that exists that is, uh, that is critical, let's say, and it may also require these materials. And there may not be enough materials to supply both industries. We don't know. And certainly the government doesn't know. There's no way for the government to know this. And, and this, is, this is something that the market, this is one of the miracles of the market. The market sorts out who most urgently needs what. And when the government just takes taxpayer dollars and says, subsidies for solar panels and subsidies for wind turbines, what they do is they create all kinds of dislocations in the market that that show up later and this is something that alex 